Turn in your Bible to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I've been preaching about James chapter 1 quite a little bit lately because our country is in such dire straits. And James chapter 1 is a letter of instruction for survival. That's what Spurgeon called it. He said, this is one of God's survival letters to God's people. These people were in dire trouble. If you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 1, he wasn't writing to a sheltered people. He was writing to a scattered people. People that had to take flight just to survive. And to these noble Christians who did not give in, and many Christians did give in, but they did not. To them, God gave this survival book of instruction. And they needed instruction because Christians were being put to death. I wonder if I would stand if the cost of the faith was death. I wonder if you would stand. I grew up in a non-denominational church. It was a great church, a soul-winning church, but very loose doctrinally. Then one day, a, a lawyer who was a Baptist pastor caught me, and he said, I don't think you know your doctrine. And he took me under his wing, and under that man I became a Baptist. I became a Baptist by decision. By the way, if you're going to die for something, you're going to want to know exactly what it is you're dying for. Feelings will be long gone, but the book will not be. That pastor married my wife and I, and it was a great church. Then one day he called Glorianne, my wife and I, in, and he said, I want you to leave the church. He said, I'm going to retire. And he said, our movement has become the very thing we set out not to be. He said, this isn't what we meant to become. And he said, if you stay in this church, David, it will ruin you. Boy, have I seen churches take people down. So have you. He said, you want to become a fundamentalist. I'd never heard the word before, didn't know what it meant. He said, I want you to go over to Dr. Roy Thompson's church, Cleveland Baptist Church. And he said, I want you to submit to him like you've submitted to me. So my wife and I got in the car and we drove over there and as would have it, as we pulled up in front of his church, here came the pastor walking out. And he said, can I help you? I said, yeah, are you a fundamentalist? He said, no one has ever asked me that question. We hadn't even shook hands yet. I said, my pastor said that I'm to submit to you because that's what I'm supposed to become. And under that dear man's leadership and guidance, that did happen. And thank you for what you're doing with this movement. Do not take this for granted. Our country is unraveling because our people are unraveling. And the answer is always found in the Word of God. 
The hope of America is not the next election. The hope of America clearly, clearly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. And the hope of America is the church standing for the gospel. These people understood that times were dire. They knew what was happening to Jesus' disciples, the ones that had been with the Savior. And I know you know this list, but listen carefully. In 44 AD, Herod ordered James thrust through with a sword and put to death. He was the first of the disciples to die. Luke was hung by his neck from an olive tree in Greece. Thomas was pierced through with a spear. Didn't kill him, so they tortured him with red-hot plates. And when that didn't kill him, they buried him alive in India. Philip was tortured and crucified because he led Heropolis' wife to Christ with his preaching. And he still preached from the cross for six days. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just, who we're about to read here, was thrown from the temple pinnacle in Jerusalem. He survived a 100-foot fall. When that didn't kill him, they clubbed him to death. Simon the Zealot was crucified in Syria. Thaddeus was beaten to death in Mesopotamia. Matthias was stoned to death. When that didn't quite kill him, they were afraid he would come back from the dead. They beheaded him. Peter was crucified upside down. John the Baptist, the beloved, the only disciple to die of natural causes. Because he survived his own execution, they put him in boiling oil exiled him to Patmos, where he wrote three epistles, and died in 100 AD. Now let me get this right. These are the leaders of the movement? These are the ones who were with Jesus? And they're not taking the gospel around the world? By the way, none of them were heralded for the buildings they built. None of them were heralded for their crowd. They were heralded for their stand. Now the question is, what is our stand? And if we face the things that they faced, would I stand? In our lawsuits, we've had people threaten us many times. And I've had people say to me, well, I wish we could kill you. We'd do it if we could. But if that in America becomes the fate of Christianity, are we going to be the people that will buckle? Now, I do everything in my power every day for that not to be our fate. But I want to be very serious with you. Our country is unraveling. And I fear we're going to face some things right now that we can't contemplate. Read with me what's in James chapter 1. I wish for you to look at three things. 
James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The problem is we're in love with the sound of our voices. And God says, be real careful with what you're saying. We're going to give an account for every thought, word, and deed. And how many of you here, like me, have said some stupid things? Hold your hand up, would you? Yeah. How many of you then repeated it more than once? God says, I want you to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. A young man came to Spurgeon. This young man had been sent out by Spurgeon to preach in a chapel church. And he said, there weren't too many people there. And Spurgeon said to him, well, I promise you there'll be more there than you want on the judgment day. Where you're going to give an account. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Now, can I warn you about something? I don't care which news outlet you watch, they're full of wrath. Fox News wants you all upset about what upsets them. MSNBC wants you upset about what's upsetting them. And God says, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But then look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Knowing the truth is not the test. Doing the truth is the test. We've all been better knowers than we have been people who lived it out. Doers of the word. That's the inconsistency they love to point out every time they get a chance. But then go down to verse 26. And I've preached on this verse heavy lately because I'm afraid this verse is taking us down. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. If any man among you not, not among Washington people, not among the defiled, among God's people. If any man among you seem to be religious, have you ever acted like you got it together better than you got it together? Have you ever gone to church and pretended your prayer life that week was just spot on, but the truth is it wasn't much? Have you ever acted like you handed out tracts everywhere when almost none were handed out? We know how to act. If any man among you seem to be religious. Well, Brother Gibbs, move on. I'm okay at that. Well, then pray for me. Because I know how easy it is in my own life to do the act. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I ask you tonight a compelling question. Is your tongue bridled? 
What's got a hold of your tongue? Now the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's got a hold of your tongue? What's got a hold of mine? God says, I want you to put a bridle on it. And then he gives these words. If it's not bridled, this man's religion is vain. This is God talking. The word vain means not of account. It means worthless. Oh, you may be eloquent. You may be able to preach up a storm or sing like a bird. But if it's not bridled, God says it's worthless. Is there a bridle on your tongue right now? I grew up on farms and I don't ever remember learning to ride horses. We just always did it. But bridling those horses was a real lesson. When the horses on our farm would see you with a bridle, they took off for the back hundred acres. Because they did not want to lose control. Everybody understood without a bridle you couldn't control them. But with a bridle, the horse is under control. He has to submit. What had your tongue today? What had your tongue this week? Is it bridled? We'd feed those horses up into a stall and get them in there, and then when we'd try to put a bridle on them, Dr. Keene, that was a real battle because they just would chomp down. They just did not want that bridle. So on a horse, you can reach back here where there's no teeth in the back and yank on it and yank on it. And you can try and try, but they're not going to open it, Brother Lonnie. Their mouth is clamped. And there'll be some people here tonight, you're just not going to give up that tongue. Because after all, yours is not as bad as some. And there's some women here that really need this message. That's what will be in your mind. There'll be some men here who really need it. So you know what we'd do? We'd put a little honey, a little salt, sugar on that bridle, try to get them to lick it. Then the minute they'd lick it, we'd stick that bridle in. We'd trick them. Now here's the problem when you trick them. They know they've been had. So their next mission is to get rid of that bridle. So every fence post, every corner of a building, any place they can scrape that out of there, they're going to get it gone. Because they want control back. Who's got control of your tongue tonight? Well, Brother Gibbs, I I think I pretty much have my tongue controlled. Well, look at verse 3, chapter 3. starting at verse 5. The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a fire, a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. 
For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. God says you can't control your tongue. This wasn't addressed to somebody in Washington. This was addressed to God's people. God says, you're not up to controlling it. The only person who controls it is the Holy Spirit himself. But you've got to have a bridle on. How many of you remember Lester Roloff? Dear man of God. I cannot tell you the number of times he'd call out of nowhere and he'd say, David, and I'd say, yes, Brother Roloff, what do you want? Have you got the bridle on? He said, because we're going nowhere with you, son, if the bridle isn't on. Can I tell you where you're going without the bridle? Nowhere. Look at what it says up in verse 2, chapter 3. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. If we can get that tongue bridled, God says you can bring the body under control. Is it bridled? Now, there's some simple tests, and I want you to write these down. And if this one doesn't trouble you, please pray for me, because I have a problem with my tongue. I do pretty good controlling it myself until I get ticked off. How many of you understand the word ticked off? And then when I'm ticked off, look out. I've heard people say I was at a loss for words. I've never been at a loss for words. <laughs> Especially when I'm ticked off. I hate to tell you this, this afternoon, really nasty lawyer, really nasty. He ticked me off. <laughs> and I said stuff I should not have said. And you know what God says? You're going nowhere, David, if you can't control that tongue. Write the three keys down, would you? Write these three down. They're simple. You already know them. Number one, if a tongue is bridled, there's no unkind words. There's no unkind words. Hmm. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace. Doesn't say most of the time, it doesn't say much of the time, it says always. Last week, did any unkind words come out? Or your words always with grace? Well, now come on, Brother Gibbs, that's not reasonable. I mean, good night. impossible if it's not bridled. Do you know what we get a mouthful of in these lawsuits? What somebody said. Well, let me tell you what this preacher said to us. Let me tell you what this deacon said to us. Let me tell you what this missionary said to us. Go to Washington, D.C. with us. Let me tell you what they, they, they put it in a letter even. 
nothing kind. I'm not poking at them because I've said unkind things. And so have you. How many of you have children? Hold your hands up, would you? Yeah. How many of you figured out kids are God's little spies? How many of you know that? <laughs> I want you to understand, if I went to your kids and said, you ever heard your mom say something unkind? No, that, that'd be a sin. If mom said that, she wouldn't have the bridle on. Her speech is to be always with grace. That'd be correct. But the kids get the idea that's church talk. That isn't what we take out those doors. That's just what we chat about here. It's not just that our speech is always with grace. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. doesn't say don't let much. Let none. Let none. Hmm. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, please write that down. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And he said, when I come, I'm afraid I'm going to find something I shouldn't find. He said, I think I'm going to find debates. Now, I understand a lot about debates. I've been involved in debates for years, all the way from high school. Had a chance to be on the national team and international team in high school, college, and law school. And the rules of debate are real simple, Brother Keene. Here's your job. Make you look good and the other guy look bad. Your job is to make you look bright and the other guy look stupid. And Paul said, I'm afraid that's what I'm going to find. Debates. God says, stop it. Get that tongue bridled. A pastor friend of mine went to see what is unquestionably one of the most powerful women in Congress. Her name's been all over the news lately. And he went to see her and he said, uh, I want to apologize to you. I've said a lot of things to make you look bad and me look good. And I want you to know my God loves you. And we love you. She said, you love me. He said, that's right, I'm commanded to. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And spitefully use you. She said, I don't think anybody's ever said that to me. He said, well, I should have said it a long time ago. Now, he said, we disagree on everything. And my prayer is you'll change. But God has bridled my tongue. 
No unkind words. Write number two down. No griping or complaining. This is huge. And you know what the problem with griping and complaining is? It's contagious. Once somebody tells a story, somebody's got to outdo that one. Well, let me tell you what I just saw. Oh, yeah, well, I saw something bigger than that. And we sit there and we talk about griping. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Neither murmur ye. Do you understand, in the Old Testament, God killed his people for griping? They weren't overthrown by the enemy. They were overthrown by God. And that's why God says, stop the griping. By the way, we live so comfortably. We live so palatially. We sleep in air-conditioned houses. We ride in air-conditioned cars. Half the world's going to bed hungry tonight. Our job is how to lose weight. And then we gripe. Then we gripe. What would it take for you to say, I'm done griping about anything? I'm done. Because it's a sin. My tongue is going to be bridled. Hmm. Now, what upsets one person doesn't upset another. But the devil will make sure he gets something in your path to get you nickeled up, to get you upset. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you understand when we gripe, when we stop giving thanks, we are totally out of the will of God. Amen. Totally. Well, those people in D.C., those people in our state capital, those people in these liberal churches are so far out of the will of God. God says when David Gibbs stops giving thanks, he's out of the will of God. Amen. Now, these are never accidents. These are all decisions. I was with a missionary in Australia. He had just come off of one of the Polynesian islands where the witch doctor, in order to stop him from giving the gospel, took a lead pipe and mangled his face. I don't mean hurt his face, I mean mangled it. He looked nothing like he used to. Lost vision in one eye, lost one ear. Most of his teeth were gone. They beat him with a lead pipe. Tried to kill him is what they tried to do. When he came back, I said, are you okay? He said, help me give thanks for this.
What does it take to beat the thanks out of you? Well, somebody took my parking space. Somebody got my seat in the auditorium. We trip over almost anything. He said, Brother Gibbs, he asked me to curse him, and I told him I love him, and so they beat me more. And he said, I've already set my flight. I'm going back to give him the gospel again. You realize what the scripture says? We glory in tribulation. When we use the word tribulation, I, I fear we may not understand the word. The word tribulation comes from the word tribulum. In that day when they would harvest rice or anything that had to be separated from chaff, they didn't have combines to do it. They put it on a threshing floor. And then they took a long club that looked like a big baseball bat with a nail in it. And that long club with a nail in it was called a tribulum. And what they would do is beat it and beat it and beat it to separate the chaff. And that process of beating it with that spike was called tribulation. We glory in tribulation. Wow. No murmuring, giving thanks. Write number three down. We're going to be the people who give praise and who edify. First Thessalonians 5.18, edify one another. Romans 14.19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. I love my wife on this part. Uh, Brother Schilling, you know Glorianne. Miss Schilling. Every time we go to church, she'd be in the parking lot, and she said, let's start praying who we can help. There'll be somebody here we can bless. I don't know who, it doesn't matter who. There's somebody here we can edify. Is that you? Well, no, I, I want people to edify me. Bless me. God says the greatest among you would be the servant of all. Doesn't say it would be the one with the best sermons. It says it would be the best servant. God inhabits the praise of his people. That missionary who got the stuffings knocked out of his faith with a lead pipe, he said, Brother Gibbs, something I'm thankful for. I couldn't say anything, but I could praise. Is that us? Bridle that tongue. Now, these things will never be done by accident. 
and we can't do it. The tongue can no man tame. That's what the scripture says. But by his grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can. And if you've got a great bridle on your tongue, then please pray for God to help me keep mine on me. I close by reminding you this is written in the continuum. Bridleth not his tongue. That's written in the continuum tense, meaning it's something you do and keep doing. D.L. Moody used to say every morning before he got out of bed, he asked God to put the bridle on so that his tongue would be bridled. You want to know our prayer life, why it's like where it is? The bridle's off. God, prayer is commanded. And by the way, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 Humble ourselves and pray. What he said tonight is critical. For the sake of America, for the sake of the Savior, would you get the bridle on? I was picking up a used car at a rental place. They had special deals on, and I was able to get my car. But they didn't have enough cars, and they promised more cars than they had. And there's a young mother there with a couple of kids, three, four kids. And they're telling her, I know you had a reservation, but we've run out of cars. And she said, but I, I got to have this car. I got to have this car. And the guy was treating her rude. And I got my car. I'm standing there with the keys for mine. But I got offended for her. So I told the guy, I said, listen, you got to give her a car. Come on, she's here with these small kids. You got to give her a car. He said, no, I don't. Be on your way. Now he ticked me off. <laughs> I said, son, you're going to get her a car. Or I'm going to make this the worst day of your life. Legally, you won't believe what all I'm going to do to you. He said, what are you, a lawyer? I said, great guess, great guess. I said, you're going to get her a car. He said, no, I'm not. I said, listen, I'm going to get you arrested for fraud. You're going to have to call your mother from the jailhouse. Get her. Now this girl, she said, that's all right, mister. That's all right. That's all right. I said, no, it's not. You be quiet. I'm handling this. <laughs> and so I'm jumping in, just going at it. Now a couple people are getting mad because I'm holding up the line. And a couple other people are glad for what I'm doing and they're clapping. But I got into it. And I said, I'm telling you, you're going to get her a car or you're going to regret the day you were born. <laughs> and he said, okay, 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 mercy. That, you're scary, mister. I said, I hope so. 
he turned and walked to try to find her a car. And I turned to that young mother and I said, we'll get you a car. We'll get you a car. She said, uh, Brother Gibbs, I wish you hadn't done that. I'm sorry for what my kids heard. I've heard you preach at Bible college many times. I wish my kids hadn't heard that. Now what do you say? I said, hey, I did it for you. (laughs) She looked at me and she said, no car is worth your testimony, Brother Kitts. I wish I told you that was the only time I got ticked off. I remember once checking into a motel at two in the morning and they're supposed to have a room for me and now they're telling me I have no room, but I'm welcome to sleep in the lobby. Let your speech be always with grace. Neither murmur ye. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Tonight, for the sake of the Savior, would you put the bridle on?